0: I'm going to invite you this morning to open your Bibles to Colossians chapter 1. The passage we're going to look at this morning is a passage that really has been a guide to me throughout the years. It's been kind of a spiritual plumb line that I continually go back over and over to evaluate what God has called me to do. So this morning, uh, last, last month we had pastoral appreciation. I thought about doing this last month, but this morning, more than anything, I'm going to be preaching to myself, but it's also many applications for us as a church as we look at what is the ministry and what has God called us to do. But let's go ahead and open in prayer. Father, thank you for the songs we sang. Thank you for that last song that Alyssa just played, I Must Tell Jesus. Father, what a great privilege it is, even this morning, to come into your home, in your house, have our hearts ministered with beautiful songs, and Father, just to draw close to you in our worship. Father, once again, we are reminded that outside of your presence, outside of your Spirit working, nothing will last. So, Father, humbly, we come to you asking that you would take your word. Use your word to drive deep into our hearts. And then, Father, mold us, change us into the image of your Son. And, Father, we'll give you the praise and we'll give you the glory. In Jesus' name, amen. In our church in South Africa, we had a godly man who attended our church for many years. His name was Eddie. Eddie has since passed away. But Eddie was in charge of our sound system. He recorded all of the messages. During one Christmas season, Eddie went away to visit some friends of his. Uh, When he returned, he gave me a call and he said, Pastor Lee, can we go ahead and meet for a cup of coffee? So we met, and then he began to tell me how he was concerned for his friends and their spiritual condition. When I begin to ask why, he began to describe the church that they went to. He said, The church teaches that we are in heaven right now. This is heaven. Now, think about that for a moment. We're in a lot of trouble if that's true. He says, We are in heaven. Right now, and the pastor then began to teach them that anything you desire you can have if you just believe. He then said that the only reason there is death here in heaven is because you don't have positive thinking. And I looked at Eddie and I said, Well, how how big is this church? He says, it's fairly big. It's got over 200 people, close to 300 people. And I said, does your friends really believe this? And they said, yes, they really do believe this. And I asked him, how long has this church been in existence? How did they get there? He says, well, I think they started out right. But what began to happen is this false teaching began to creep in. And now this is what they teach. And I was reminded when he was telling me this by Paul's statement. You remember in Ephesians or in Acts 20 when he's talking to the Ephesians elders? And he begins to tell them that there's going to be a time that grievous wolves will come and will begin to lead people astray. And this is exactly what was happening in the church of Colossae. False teachers started having an influence over the church with their false teaching. And so Paul is writing a letter to them, reminding them that their fullness and their completion can only be found in Jesus Christ and Jesus alone. And it's in the midst of that that Paul, in the passage that Steve read, begins to explain his own ministry and what his task is in this ministry. And thus he lays down a pattern for us as pastors and a pattern for us as a church. Now what was Paul's purpose? What was Paul's goal? Look with me very quickly at verse 28 and notice what Paul says. Paul says this, talking about Christ, whom we preach, Warning every man and teaching every man in all wisdom. Now, look at this last phrase. Here's his purpose. In order that we may present every man perfect in Christ Jesus. Paul's purpose and Paul's goal at the end of the day, when he looked at his ministry, was to fill this one task that every person may be mature or perfected in Jesus Christ and that's when i ask the question how do we as pastors how do we as a ministry fulfill this task what are the god given means that god uses to powerfully transform his people to be more like Christ. and What Paul's going to do in this passage is he's going to give three things. Let me share the first one. Look at verse 24. I'll be honest, this is the one probably out of all of these that I do not like. Look at verse 24. Paul in verse 23 says, I am made a minister, verse 24, who now rejoice in my what? My sufferings for you. The word sufferings that Paul uses there could be physical pain, could be mental anguish, it could be emotional hurts. And so right when Paul begins to talk about his ministry, the first thing that he brings up is that he rejoices in his suffering. Now, I don't know if you've ever suffered, but I doubt when you're going through that pain that you just stop and go, this is good, I like this. It's like going to a doctor's office and the doctor sits down and he pulls out the needle and you go, yes, I've been waiting all week for this doctor. Thank you. And you say, Paul, you really rejoice in your pains and your sufferings and your hurts? Well, of course not. That's not what Paul is saying. Look at what he says again. Verse 24, who now rejoice in my sufferings. And what's the next part? For you. You. You see, the suffering has a purpose. His anguish becomes rejoicing, not at the pain inflicted, but at what the pain accomplishes. You see, the right perspective or right attitude towards suffering brings an inner source of strength and rejoicing. Now, what was Paul's attitude towards suffering? Paul says, I now rejoice in my suffering for you, and look at this next phrase, and fill up that which is behind or lacking of the afflictions of Christ in my flesh for his body's sake. So Paul says in his suffering, he is filling up what is lacking in Christ's affliction. This is where you step away and you go, Paul, What are you talking about? Are you honestly saying, Paul, that there is something insufficient about Christ's suffering? Something that you have to fill up because it was insufficient? Is that what Paul is saying? There's been hundreds and hundreds of books written. If you're really bored someday and you want to be able to fall asleep, I encourage you to read the different views out there. But let me give you the simplest answer to what Paul was saying. Let me just have you look at another verse where much of the same phraseology is used. Just go over to Philippians chapter 2. Just flip back a few pages, and I think this will help us. Philippians chapter 2. And look at verse 30. Look at what Paul says. Paul says, because... For the work of Christ, he was nigh unto death, not regarding his life, and look at this next phrase, to supply your lack of service toward me. Now here's the context. Epaphrodites has come to Paul. Now the church at Philippi had taken up a love offering for Paul. They'd raised a bunch of money to help him. What Paul says is Epaphrodites was the one who stepped into the gap to bring that money to them, to Paul. What was lacking? The church had taken up a love offering, but what was lacking was the ability or the vehicle to bring it to Paul. And so here's the gift, it's sufficient. How is Paul going to get it? Well, Epaphrodites steps on the scene and says, I will take it to Paul. You see, that which was lacking was not the gift, but was the vehicle to transport the gift. And that's what I believe Paul is saying. What is is lacking is not the death and the sufficiency of Christ. But how does God get that message to other people? How does God communicate and validate that message to other people? Paul says one of the ways in which he does that is through suffering. So imagine, you're at home living in Paul's day, and someone comes and knocks at your door, and you go and you open the door, and there's a guy, your friend, and he says, hey, come with me. There's going to be a beating down at the market. They're going to beat this guy with rods. Oh, really? Who are they beating? A guy by the name of Paul. Why are they going to beat him? Well, Paul believes that this Jesus, that's who he keeps talking about, this Jesus came, he was crucified, died on the cross, but he didn't stay dead. He rose from the grave and now he's seated at the right hand of God and all who turn to him and put their faith in him will be saved. And you go, he's willing to be beaten for that message? Yes. I got to go hear this guy. You see, the message is promoted through Paul's suffering. And it validates the message through his suffering. Because if you're willing to suffer for something you believe, people are going to give you an ear to hear what that is. I don't think we know much about physical suffering here in America. I think the time will come. But probably most of us have not had to suffer physically for our walk with the Lord. But I think we all do suffer, don't we? You get a call, the doctor gives you a call and says, hey, I need to meet with you. Please come in. You go in, the doctor says, I've got bad news, your test came back. And here it is, and he lays it out. You go home with tears in your eyes, and you call your family, and tears are streaming down the kids' eyes. Tears are streaming down your spouse. and You say, God, I don't like this. But you know what? I'm going to use this for your purpose. I'm going to use this for your glory. And you hand that suffering over to him, You just say, God, now do what you want to do. Later on, someone comes up to you and says, you know, I've heard you've been going through some trials, but you seem seem to be doing well. And you say, well, let me tell you why. About 20 years ago, I met someone. He also suffered. His name is Jesus. Can I tell you about him? That person goes away and goes, wow. They've got something I don't have. I think as we look, listen to the testimonies, many of you can give testimonies how God has opened the door for you to minister to people, not through your strengths, but through your sufferings. And so Paul comes and he says, here's the first thing that God uses. He uses my sufferings to communicate the gospel. Paul then moves on from suffering, talking about this ministry, and the next word is the word stewardship. Look at verse 25. Paul then says again, Wherefore I am made a minister, a minister to the church, a minister of Christ. And Then he says, Wherefore I am made a minister according to, and the old King James has dispensation. Another word you could put there is the word stewardship. Because that's what it means. The idea there and the word there means one who manages another person's household goods or another person's property. And so here's what Paul is saying. I have been made a servant. I am a steward because God has given this to me. Now in one sense, here's what Paul is saying to the church. I am your servant. But you are not my master. Why? Because God has commissioned me to a task. And I think this is where it primarily comes down and falls upon us who have been called to full-time ministry, where God separates a person and begins to work in that person to call them to the task. And as a pastor, I know what this this is it's a great conviction that I can do nothing else except what God has called me to do. It's not that a pastor or a spiritual leader does not have the ability to do something else. I just look at our pastors. I see so much giftedness in our pastors. I always marvel I go and just watch what pastor does here and around. Then I go to his house. I'm convinced he's got more talent in his one finger with those flowers than I have in my entire body. I watch what some of our other pastors do. I watch what Pete does. I see how Steve in the organizational skills, the administration skills. I see Pastor Wayne. It's not that there's nothing else we can't do. We have abilities. But the great conviction that God gives when he calls one into the ministry is that this is what you're called, and we're satisfied doing nothing else. You can ask my wife how miserable I am when I don't have someone to go through the Word of God with. This is what God calls us. And with that calling comes a great responsibility. Because someday as stewards... We will stand before God and give an account to God for what we do. And this is the great battle because deep in my soul, in my heart, there's this longing to please and make you happy. I promise you, I don't go into my office going, hmm, I wonder how I can make their life miserable this week. <laughs> we don't think that. And any time grievances come, any negativity comes, it's like a knife in our heart. We hate it. And we bring it back before God and say, God, am I doing something wrong? And at the end of the day, when the accounts are settled, we will stand before God as stewards and we will give an account to Him. And What did God called us to do? What's the mission that God has called us to do? Look at verse 25 again. Wherefore, I made a minister according to the stewardship of God, which is given to me for you. And Look at this next phrase, to fulfill the word of God, or to make God's word fully known. You see, this is the chief way that God uses to mature us. It's his word. And let's be honest, folks. There are quicker ways to draw a crowd than week after week hearing pastors say, open your Bible, open your Bible, open your Bible. There's quicker ways to draw a crowd. When I'm starting a church there in Africa, and the guy in the next city is starting a church, and he comes to me and he says, how are you doing? I go, good. We have 10 people now. He goes, 10? Oh, we've got 100. And then he looks at me, he goes, what are you doing? Well, I'm opening up my Bible. We're doing discipleship. He goes, that's your problem. That's yesterday's method. Let me give you 10 ways to build a church. He gives me those 10 ways and I say, thank you. But no thank you. Because at the end, I believe that the way that I'm doing it, The roots of our church will go deeper, and their branches will go a lot higher than you. And at the end, I will stand and give an account to God. You ever want to do something just for the fun of it? Just go online and Google how to attract or how to build a church. There's lots of interesting ways, especially in South Africa. Lots of interesting ways. I've heard of one church that has what's called the Wheel of Blessing. You sit down there and they have your name and pastor will get up and say, you know, blink, so-and-so, come on down. They have a Wheel of Blessing. I heard of another church that does baptisms off of a high dive. That would be fun. But what has God called us to do? As stewards, God has called us to the mission of his word. That's why every week when Pastor Grotsky gets up here, please take your Bibles. Open up. Take your Bibles. Open up. The main diet of our church, the main responsibility of our church, not that we don't do other things, but the main diet of the church and the main responsibility is the Word of God. That's our mission. And So why? What does the Word of God lead us to? What's the message? Okay, what well, Paul says, 25, to fulfill the Word of God, or to make fully known the Word of God. Verse 26, even the mystery, now that would have been a word that the Colossians would have been very interested in because they believed there was something hidden, this knowledge that they had to seek. Well, Paul's going to describe the mystery. What's been hidden? Even the mystery which has been hid from ages and from generations, but now is made manifest to his saints, to whom God would make known. Now look at this. What is the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory? What's the message? What's the word of God take us to? The Word of God takes us to Jesus Christ. That's its message. So you start reading your Bible in Genesis 1 and 2. You find that God made a beautiful world where His presence dwelled. And then you get to chapter 3, sin destroyed it. And you're going, okay, how can we ever enjoy God's presence again? Well, Genesis 3.15, God looks down at this serpent, Satan. It says you know what's going to happen someday you you think you've won but i'm going to send a child and you know what this child's going to do to you he's going to crush your head and he's going to undo everything that you've just done and from genesis 3:15 all the way through the rest of our bible it leads us to this person who is he what has he done What can He do for you? And that was Paul's great message. When he would go into the churches or the synagogues, he would open up God's Word and he would begin to teach them how Jesus Christ must have suffered on a cross, must have died for our sins, must have risen according to the Scriptures so that every single one of us, no matter who you are, young or old, rich or poor, no matter what your skin color, by faith you can turn to him and receive forgiveness. So Paul says, here's one of the ways that God works. He works through our sufferings. Here's another means that God works. He works through our stewardship and preaching the word. And then here's the last word I want to give you. This is found in verse 29. It's the word striving. Let's start at verse 28. He says, Whom we preach, warning every man and teaching every man in all wisdom. Why? Here's the purpose. That we may present every man perfect in Christ Jesus. Now look at verse 29. Whereunto I also labor, striving. Paul uses a term here. That means physical exhaustion. It's actually used in wrestling matches. Not like the wrestling matches we have today. Many times these wrestling matches ended in someone dying. That's the word. Physical exhaustion. Paul says, you know what I do? So that you can be made perfect. I labor hard at this. Striving. Working. How? This Next phrase, according to his working, which worketh in me mightily. Beautiful verse. Paul says, I work hard at seeing salvation and you grow. And the way that I'm able to do this is not because of my own ability, because of his power and his energy and us working to accomplish it. Beautiful. Aren't you thankful for God's work in our lives, who strengthens us? You ever ever get up? I mean, many Sundays I get up and go, God, I just don't think I can do it this Sunday. And then that little voice, you're right, you can't. Yeah, but I don't want the people to know I can't do that, Lord. Don't worry, get up there, open my word. Open my word. I can't tell you how many times, and I know every pastor feels this way, Pastor Grotsky and I talk about this often. We get from the pulpit and we go, I just feel like I failed. We strive to do this. It's not our perfection, but it is our direction. And hopefully next week will be better than this week. Hopefully the week after that will be better. Well, I know it will be better because Pastor Grotsky's preaching. It be better. But we strive to do this. This is our longing that you may be perfect. Folks, what is your responsibility in all of this? Pray for us, would you? Pray for your pastors. Uh, We need, there's so many things throughout the week that come. Hardships, trials, pray. Uh, Encourage your pastors. It's okay, it really is okay. You don't have to just do this in October. You can actually go up to your pastor and say thank you for all you do. It's a huge encouragement. But then prepare your hearts. Every single week, we spend hours. We can provide the table. We can put all the plates out. We can cook the meal. But we can't force you to eat. It's like what a shepherd does, right? A shepherd leads the sheep. But have you ever seen a shepherd take this big 70-pound ewe, put him on his lap and says, here you go, eat, eat. You can't. The responsibility is yours. So I think of the Berean church. Remember what the Berean church was like in Acts 17? Paul says they were more noble than the church at Thessalonica in that they came with readiness of mind to study whether these things be so. And What happens when we sit under the word of God? We come with readiness of minds. God begins to work in our hearts, making us more like Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, once again, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your son, Jesus Christ, and what he has done. And Father, I pray for this ministry. Thank you, Father, for each one that is here. And Father, help us to guard these spirits these precious truths. Help us to guard your word. Father, help us as pastors to proclaim your word. And then, Father, most important, as that goes forth, glorify your Son, Jesus, in our hearts, even as that special was sung by the choir. We love you. We praise you. And, Father, if there be one here this morning who's never put their trust in you, would you work in their heart and draw them Once again, thank you in Jesus' name, amen.